We are glad you're here this morning. And uh, this morning we're going to be continuing a series uh, that talks about the attitude of our heart. Uh, and And we begin to look at the last several weeks, what's going on on the inside of you determines how high that you can go on the outside. Um, and that how that our attitude uh, determines our altitude. And a lot of times we clean things up on the outside, but on the inside we still have things that, that keep us from going higher in God. And now I don't know about you, but uh, for me in my life, I want to go as high in God as I can go. I want to get as close to God as I can get. I want to be able to, for people around me to look at me And not through the words of my mouth, not because of the way that I dress, and not because I I even show up to church uh, every Sunday and every Wednesday, and I'm involved in in, in life groups. Uh, What I want people to be able to do is look at me, and without me saying anything, them realize that there's something different about me on the inside. And we've been looking at what one person deemed the greatest sermon ever preached. And we've been talking about how that, that we have to be able to get over anger and that how hatred and bitterness in our heart can just destroy us and it can eat away at us. We talked about becoming more mature in Christ and how that once we get saved, it's not the end of the journey, but it's just the beginning. Just like uh, the birth of a, of a new uh, beautiful baby. That's not the end, but it's the beginning of a lifelong journey. And the same thing is true in our Christianity. Uh, We talked about being dependent on God and how that it's in our uh, DNA to try to control everything ourselves. How that it's in our DNA to, to want to make everything work the way that we think it should. And too often we don't depend on Him. Last week, we talked about becoming worry free instead of worry full. And God spoke to so many hearts around this altar. And we begin to, to just say, God, I'm going to trust you. When things, and we begin to, we talked about how that we cannot be tied to our understanding. And that when we tie ourselves to our own understanding, that peace will pass us by. And how that the Bible tells us that we should seek peace, not wait for it. And the way we do that is to get closer to God. This week, we're going to talk about being judgment-free. Everybody take a deep breath. Judgment-free. Now, before you were saved, you may have used this verse when someone was calling you out on your behavior. So, uh, for a lot of people, this is the first verse that you ever learned. And it's, judge not lest you be judged. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever had someone say that to you? They'll look at you and say, don't judge me. But they do it in the King James. Judge not lest you be judged. It just sounds better that way. But it's a, it's a popular verse. And we begin to look at that. And, and a lot of people want to use that as a license to do whatever we want. But I believe what Jesus was saying here is that He doesn't want us to be judgmental. He doesn't want us to be condemning. 
But what He does want us to be is discerning. And there's a difference. The word judgment in the Greek is krino, which means condemnation. The word discernment is diakrino, which is preservation. And there's a difference in the two. You see, discerning is one thing, and judging is something completely different. We want our kids to have a discerning spirit. Well, when they go to school, they need to realize that not everyone is for their good. And so they begin to, to be discerning. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus takes the first five verses and He tells us how not to judge. And He tells us to have a right attitude between. So in the first five verses, let's read them. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Man, what powerful verses. What, how much is packed into these first five verses of Matthew chapter 7. And this morning I want to look at, very quickly, we're going to look about some things about judging. And then we're going to look at what it means to have a discerning spirit. So first of all, the first thing that we need to know about judging is don't play God. Don't play God. Now, there are people in my life that there's times I would like to say, God, why don't you run down to Starbucks and get you a latte? Let me take over for just about 30 minutes. You have anybody like that? I know you're too holy to admit that. I understand. Uh, but there are people in my life that think, God, why don't you just take care of them? Why don't you just get rid of it? But we have to understand that we aren't to play God. We aren't called to do that. Why is that? Because we aren't the standard. He is. And if we would learn and we would realize that what we see in other people is, is in us as well. But we want to, to judge someone because in our mind, in our eyes, they're not getting what they deserve. Man, it's quiet in here. They're not getting what they deserve. But you see, there's one prerequisite to judging, and it's perfection. It's perfection. And you see, we are flawed, so we cannot be the standard. We are flawed. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But there's one who is not. His name is Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So when we look at this verse, we see that what is needed to be able to judge is perfection. And we don't have that. 
I asked that question not too long ago. I said, we know that there's nobody perfect. And I had one person say that they almost got up and walked out because I was preaching false doctrine. Because they knew that they were perfect. They were kidding, I think. But when we look at this, I want to have the right heart toward people. We've heard the story of Jonah. And how that that Jonah had been called to go to Nineveh. But he didn't want to go. He didn't have a right heart. He didn't want to go because he thought that that people, the people of Nineveh, were going to get away with everything. And he didn't want that. But we have to know that, that whatever the matter, and no matter what's going on, no one will escape God's judgment. He sees all. He knows all. He keeps a record of all. He knows every thought, every word, and we will all give an account for what we do. So no one is going to escape the judgment that's before us. But Jonah was upset because he wanted to relieve God of his duties. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He hated them. But he ends up where he didn't want to go. And when he gets there, God says, why did you do that? Why didn't you listen? And Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So what Jonah was saying is, I wanted them to be judged. And I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were going to give them a chance. I knew that if they repented, that they wouldn't get what I thought they deserved. Something just wasn't right with Jonah. But we look at that, and a lot of times we have the same attitude in our own hearts. You want to see people get what they deserve. You want people condemned. But can I tell you, if they don't know Christ, or if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're already condemned. The world is already condemned. There's no reason for us to pile on to people. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, it's not our job to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. If they do not know Christ, this passage of Scripture lets us know that they're already condemned. So what do we do? We must realize that God will be as hard on you as you are with others. God will be as hard on you as you are with others. You can sow a little and reap a lot. In Luke chapter 6 verse 38 he says this. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, we all have heard that when somebody's taking up offering. And this is a principle that works. But the context here in this passage of Scripture is judgment. Luke chapter 6, right before that, verse 37, says this, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. The context here is judgment. The context here is forgiveness. And we understand that this principle works in all areas. And you know what? I've noticed, some, I've noticed something about my sin. That it looks worse on you than it does on me. My sin looks worse on you than it does on me. I look better in my sin than it, than it looks on you. There's those of us in this passage of Scripture, that, that we look harshest on those who look like us. And Jesus said in this passage of Scripture, take the beam out of your own eye before you take the sawdust out of someone else's. Now, notice something about that. A wooden beam and sawdust, they're made out of the same thing. They're made out of the same thing. But it looks worse, that little speck of sawdust looks worse in someone else's eye than that big beam does sticking out of your own eye. That big log to us looks so small. But in someone else it looks so large. And my prayer every day is, God help me guard my heart from a judgmental spirit. We say, Pastor, people are going to get away with stuff. No, they're not going to escape. They're not going to escape God's judgment. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to show mercy. Let God put a switch in your heart. James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I'm not going to lie. I turn on the TV for about 30 seconds. And in those 30 seconds, I see two or three people that, that I think, God, you just need to take care of them. There are things going on in this nation that make me sick. But, but, I begin to pray. God, put a switch in my heart. What do I mean by putting a switch? God, instead of me being judgmental and condemning them, which is not my, judge, my job to do. God, help me pray for them. God, help me realize that there's probably a backstory there. If there's somebody that comes off as being very arrogant, if there's somebody who's always wanting attention, then there's probably a backstory there. Maybe they were ignored when they were younger. But instead of me being judgmental, instead of me being condemning, I say, God, touch them. God, change them. You see, God sees our needs more than our deeds. God knows what we need, and He sees those more than what we do. There has to be a, a shift in our hearts 
that says, God, help me pray for their needs. Help me begin to realize that no one's going to get away with anything, but it's not my job to judge them. It's not my job to condemn them. It's my job to pray for them and to lift them up. If we could ever get that attitude in our heart and realize that it's not our job to play God. You see, judgment starts, should start with us, in us. Matthew chapter 7 verse 5 said this, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. First, God, examine me. God, look at me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 31 says this, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You know, you get in an argument with someone. Anybody ever had a disagreement? Husband and wife, you ever had a disagreement? Never, right? What is the easiest thing to do? The easiest thing to do is look at what they're doing wrong. In any, if you are human, it is in our nature to look at the other person. That's not what this verse says. It says, first, examine yourself. God, where can I change? God, what can I do different? God, where am I being selfish? Where am I just trying to look out for myself? Because you see, it's easier to look outwardly. And Jesus said, no, if you want to go higher, if you want to get to where I want you to be in me, then you need to look within. How do you do that? If you get something in your eye, most of us will run to a mirror, try to see. Maybe it's an eyelash or, uh, you know, if you're working, you maybe get some sawdust. Or, the first thing you want to do is, is you go to a mirror and you're pulling down your eye and you're doing it this way and you're doing it this way and you're trying to find that, that thing that's in your eye. The Word of God is a mirror. And if you want to begin to, to judge yourself, if you want to begin to, to look within, pick up the Word of God. Use that as a, as a mirror and say, God, I want to reflect what is in this holy book. I want to be like and do the things that you have called me to do in your word. And one of the boldest prayers that you can pray is, Holy Spirit, show me me. Holy Spirit, show me me. Because somehow I can't see me. I'm blinded by the own plank in my eye. And I believe that if you'll do that, he'll speak to you. I believe that, that if you do that, that he will help you remove it. And to begin to examine yourself. It's so important not to try to play God. David, there's a story in the Bible between David and, and Nathan. And you can read the backstory later, but basically what it came down to was Nathan came to David and he said there was this man. And there were two men and they were going to have a, have a party. And there was this one man who only had one lamb, sacrificed it, when this other man had all these animals. And he said, David said, tell me who it is. We will put them to death. And he said, it's you. And he was talking about Bathsheba. 
But David became judgmental because he thought his sin, the same thing he, he had done, was on someone else. But then we read where he writes in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10 and 11, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And then verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. He began to say, God, look at me. Look within me. Create in me a clean heart. Give me the attitudes in my heart that I need. And then when I do that, then I can teach others. Then I can show others the way. So, we've talked about judging. Judgment and condemnation. But there's also another aspect that from verse 6 that Jesus begins to cover. And he begins to talk about discernment, preservation. You see, God wants to protect you. God wants to protect you. John chapter 7 verse 24 says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And Proverbs 2.11 says this, Discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. And so there are five things that we can do outlined in these passages of Scripture that will help us be preserved. The first thing we need to do is we need to discern, discern who you are giving to. You need to protect and preserve your time and your energy. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 says, Do not give away what is holy to the dogs. Nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. What is being said here is, is that there are people in your life who will never change their ways. And that sounds judgmental, but that's not labeling people permanently, but that's identifying people presently. And sometimes you can begin to give what is holy and what is precious to somebody. And holy is what I have that is sacred. And the pearl that he's talking about there is what I've experienced that's sacred. And we have to begin to realize that we cannot take the intangibles that are so valuable to us and give them to people who do not appreciate them. There comes a time that we have to realize, we have to have a discerning spirit and realize that not every heart is fertile. Not everyone is ready to receive what you have. You ever tried to witness your faith to someone? And you're trying to tell them about the goodness of God? And you're trying to tell them what He has done in your life? And they'll say, oh, that's good, that's good. But I have a question. Did Adam have a belly button? Because, you know, he wasn't born. Did Adam and Eve? And they just want to, to argue about things. And at some point and some time, you have to say, this is not a fertile heart. This is not someone who's ready to receive what I have. And sometimes we can wear ourselves out. And we can share what we have that is precious and continue to give it away. Only to leave us trampled. 
depressed, torn apart. Samson shared some intangibles with Delilah. He told her his heart. He told her her story. He told her about his anointing. And she turned and took that from him which was precious. We aren't being harsh. There's sometimes that we just have to walk away. There's sometimes that, that we have to realize that, that some people at that time in their life, they just don't want to change. But you can wear yourself out. You can continue to, to plow and become so tired on ground that's not fertile. Discern in your life and realize that not everyone's ready. Secondly, we need to discern your resolve. How bad do you want the things that God has for you? How bad do you want it? How much does it matter to you? There's promises that people squander away instead of preserving because, you see, the Bible is full of promises. We have an inheritance. But there's people who just simply don't care about what is rightfully theirs. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If you notice here, the intensity grows. You start out just by asking. And then you begin to seek. And then you begin to knock. And what happens in times in a lot of our lives is, is our intensity as we're seeking for what God has for us. It doesn't grow, but it gets less and less. Jesus is saying, you keep. And if it doesn't happen, you let, your intense, you let what you're doing intensify. And you keep, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want what God has for you? Is it one of those things that, you know, you, know, you have, I'll use my daughter as an example. If there's something that she really wants, she might come to me the first time and say, no. You think that stops her? No, it begins, Daddy, please. And then it's, I'll do chores. I'll clean my room. I'll mop the floor. She's going to keep asking. She's going to keep seeking. She's going to keep knocking. Why? Because she really wants that thing in her life. And we have to realize that there was a man by the pool. And he had been there, it says, the Bible says, for 38 years. And in John chapter 5, verse 6, in John chapter 5, verse 6, you see, I had to, I had to go from asking to seeking the scripture, right? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus asked him a question. I would think the question would have been, Jesus, do you want me to be made well? But that's not what happened. Jesus said, do you want to be made well. You see, most of the time, we're questioning God's will. 
But God's looking at, and we're looking at our problem and our situation. But God's questioning our resolve. How bad do you want what I have for you? You've been here for 38 years, but do you want to be made well? He had to determine in his heart, I want what you have for me. And a lot of times we have to look within and we have to really say, God, how bad do I really want it? Is it worth the sacrifice? Is it worth the trouble? Or am I just going to ask and then just stop when it doesn't happen the when or the way that I want it to? Discern your resolve. Thirdly, discern your path. What path are you on? Where are you headed? Where are you going? We read on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in and buy it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking. He said, listen, the path to life is narrow. It's narrow. The path to destruction is wide. What does that mean? That means just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it right. You say, but pastor, we need to be politically correct. What's more important? Life or being accepted? Narrow is the path that leads to life. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. And you see, there's all kinds of people on that wide path. Because that's much easier. It's much easier. If you go on a hike, if you've got a a big path, it's much easier to maneuver than it is on a narrow path. Or maybe you've been out uh, some, uh, some roads here in Kentucky. And you're driving on them and you're thinking, man, this is, is this a golf cart path? And you're just waiting to hit somebody head on. Why? Because it's hard to navigate a narrow path. But if I'm going to get where I was going, I had to take that road. It would be much easier if it was wide. What's more important? Hanging around with your friends, going to places, doing things that you shouldn't be doing, being exposed to bad things, or having a relationship with God, or maybe having a strong and a secure marriage so that your children can be raised. There's a man in the book of, uh, there's a man in the Bible by the name of Noah. He was going against the flow. People looked at him and said, you have lost your mind. What are you doing? But in that time, the Bible says that people were just doing their own things. People had had lost their mind. And Noah said, you know what? This doesn't make any sense, but I'm taking the narrow path. It's hard. People are going to ridicule me. People are going to look at me like I'm crazy. People are going to call me names. 
I'm going to smile. I'm going to love them. But I'm going to stay on this narrow path that God has placed me on. And the Bible tells us that just like in the days of Noah, that's what times are going to get like. I think we're almost there. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You say, Pastor, you seem awful narrow-minded this morning. Listen, I could tell you what you want to hear. But there's one day that we're all going to stand before a living God. And you're going to say, why didn't someone tell me that not all paths lead to God? Why didn't someone warn me? John chapter 14 verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. That way is narrow. Don't believe anything else. Discern which path you're on. Next, discern who has your ear. Discern who has your ear. You see, whoever has your ear also has your heart. And there's people in your life that will tell you what you want to hear just to get something from you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16 says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? Jesus is saying here, there's going to be people who come to you who do not have your best interest, but they want your ear. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. You're not going to be able to figure them out by their disguise or even by their words. You'll only be able to figure them out by the trail of people that they leave behind. There are people that I have to discern very quickly. I don't think they really want what's best for me. I know they're saying one thing with their mouth. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. There's going to be people that come into your life. Whether it's a business partner. Whether it's in a relationship. They're going to begin to tickle your ears. And tell you the things that you want to hear. Why? Because they want your heart. And if we're not careful. And I'm speaking to you as a pastor this morning. They'll take advantage of you. And then they'll leave you. Because their reputation is to leave a trail of people behind that they've hurt. And that they've hurt. They leave them broken. They'll take advantage of you. They'll steal from you. Not just financially, but emotionally. And our prayer has to be, God, help me. Help me. To recognize and to discern. I'm not saying condemn people. But I'm saying that we discern them by their fruits. We're not looking for people in our lives who are flawless. If you keep waiting for a perfect friend, you're going to be lonely. But even in their flaws, 
they should be producing fruit. Even in their flaws, they should be faithful to you. I'm telling you, guard yourself. Guard yourself. Realize when people are just telling you what you want to hear. And they're playing with your emotions. They want something from you. There is safety in counsel. And that's why I work this into every sermon. Life groups are so important. Because sometimes it's easier to see. It's easier for me to see. When someone's doing that to someone else. And if you have those people in your life. They can counsel you. And you trust them. Now the key is, is you have to listen. I've told people before, they're bad for you. Yeah, yeah, they are. Next week, they're running around. Movies. I thought you said they were bad for me, for you. Well, they are, but you know, it'll be okay. Why? Because you can't see it for yourself. You have to have a discerning spirit. There's people who want to destroy you. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Let's p- let people's fruit equal what they say. Don't accept what they just say with their mouth. Don't accept what they look like on the outside. But discern if they're bearing fruits that equal what they're speaking with their mouth. Lastly, discern if you're all in. Are you all in? You say, what do you mean? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? You see, there are people who can do all kinds of stuff. There are people who can, it can look right on the outside. And when you think about this, the first person that comes to my mind is a man by the name of Judas. Anybody ever heard of Judas? Sure, he has a reputation, doesn't he? He was the one that called Jesus Lord, Lord. He was the one that was anointed and sent out with the rest of the 70. He saw and spoke about and was amazed at the authority that they had over the demons. And, and he saw many wonderful things. And he was there. He was a part of it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he appeared committed. But he had never truly submitted. It appeared. It looked like Judas was one of them. But he wasn't all in. He was not submitted to the narrow path. We talk about and, and I've preached sermons on being all in. It's hard to do. It's hard to push all those chips to the middle of the table. Saying I'm trusting what's in this hand. But when it comes to Christ, if you're truly going to be and get to where He wants you to be, He wants me to be, we have to say, I'm all in. I'm all in. 
There's a talking about Judas. Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet. And when he did that, he looked at them and he said, I'm giving you an example. Now I can tell you, for me to wash somebody's feet, I have to be all in. I have to be willing to say, I'm all in. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to follow the example that Christ has laid before me. And as soon as he finished doing that, that's when he said, there's one of you that's not all in. There's one of you that's going to betray me. You look at the others that were there. They were all in. You look at and read about how that they, did they make mistakes after that? Absolutely. They absolutely did. But it didn't keep them from the narrow path. And you read history accounts of how that many of those died. They died doing ministry. They died. They gave their life for what they believed in. But there was one that wasn't all in. He wasn't submitted. And we've talked about a lot of stuff this morning. But I can tell you that if you can answer this question, if you can answer this question, that everything else will become a lot easier. It'll be easier not to have a judgmental heart. It'll be easier to trust God and say, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to pray for them. Why? Because you're all in. You're all in. You look at through the, the Bible... Those ones that were persecuted in the New Testament church. They just kept preaching what they knew to preach. They just kept loving people. Loving God. Why? Because they had made a determination in their heart. I am submitted to what it is that Christ is calling me to. I'm not going to be detoured. I'm not going to be delayed. I'm going to keep striving. And I know that this is probably many of you are probably glad that this sermon comes, this uh, series comes to a close next week. Because there are some hard hitting things here. But I truly believe, and if I didn't, I wouldn't stand up here. I truly believe that as individuals and as a church, that these are all things that we have to get right here. Because I can tell you, the world, they can see a fake. They can see phony. It's easy to pick up on. And I truly believe that if we're going to do, we're coming into fall right now, 
when everybody gets back into school, lies have settled down. We're going to see new faces. We're going to see a community that's searching for God. And my prayer every day is, is that when they look at us, may they not just see what's on the outside. May we just not look like a church. May we not just look like Christians. But may they see our heart. And when they see the attitude of our heart, that we're not judging them. That we love them. And it's so easy to get in a pattern of self-righteousness. So easy. So as you stand, I'm going to ask that you take the hand of the person standing beside you. And this is what we do right here is more important than anything that I've said. Because it is in the power of prayer. It's in the power of agreement. Because the words that I speak can't do anything to change you. Only the Holy Spirit can. And so as we pray, we're going to pray that God will seal this word in our hearts. And that when people look at us, they see nothing but Him. And we're going to agree and we're going to believe together because we are coming into a season. There is a lot over the past almost 13 years. There is a lot of seed that has been planted. And I believe that with everything that is in me. That it's time to reap. But we have to be ready. We have to be ready. It's not just going to happen. After the seed is sown, it doesn't just jump into the barn. You have to have a group of people who are committed and submitted to doing what has to be done to go out and to gather that crop and to bring it back in. And I believe that this summer has been our time to prepare ourselves. For the harvest. But it has to start right here. Not here. We can't say I want it. We can't say that it's going to happen. And not have it right here. It has to be here. We have to have the right attitude. And if we can do that. God will fill this place. With a harvest. So right now we're going to pray for each other. We're going to believe that God will seal this word in our heart. They're going to sing. And we're going to leave here different. Right now, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you. God, I am so thankful for each and every person that's gathered here this morning. God, there is no doubt in my mind that everyone gathered here, God, can be part of helping us reap the harvest. God, I understand that my heart has to be right. That our hearts have to be right. Individually and as a church. God, when the world looks at us, may they not be able to look at us and say, hypocrite. 
God, may, we're, may we be just like David, a man after your own heart. God, may we seek you. God, may we listen to your voice. God, may nothing come out of our mouths and out of our hearts other than love. God, help us to discern. God, the people that want to steal from us. God, help us discern the path that we're on. God, help us realize that we can say one thing with our mouth, but God, have something completely different in our hearts. God, I pray over this congregation. Father, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us and prepare us and prepare our hearts to reap what has been sown. God, we're believing for supernatural, supernatural harvest because, God, we know the time is short. God, we know that there are people all around us who are crying out for help. God, help us prepare ourselves. Help us prepare ourselves to give them what they need. And God, that's you. Father, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we thank you for your word, for your son.